It's been a long week for the 49ers, a very long week. After their dismal offensive performance Sunday night against the Denver Broncos, the 49ers have an opportunity for a big bounce back performance on Monday Night Football to cap week four. The 49ers can get things back on track or not against the Los Angeles Rams, the early season leader in the NFC West and last season's Super Bowl champs. Nobody needs to cleanse the palate as much as Jimmy Garoppolo, who had a dreadful game in his first start of the season. Jennifer Lee Chan and I will discuss what could be Kyle Shanahan's biggest frustration with Garoppolo, and is Shanahan himself doing enough to push the right buttons for the 49ers offense? Greg Papa, the 49ers radio play-by-play voice, and former 49ers Pro Bowl left tackle Joe Staley offer their thoughts on the current state of the franchise. All that on this episode of 49ers Talk, coming at you right now. Welcome to another edition of 49ers Talk on NBCSportsBayArea.com. Introducing your host, Matt Mayoko. Yes, this is 49ers Talk brought to you by Big O Tires. I'm Matt Mayoko, joined by Jennifer Lee Chan, and we got a special big lineup here. I mean, it is Monday Night Football Week which means one day longer in this week. So we brought more help. We got Greg Papa coming up a little later and former 49er and former colleague of ours, Joe Staley, as well as we break down where the breakdowns are occurring with the San Francisco 49ers. Hi, Jennifer. There are quite a few breakdowns at the moment. Yes. Um, there, there were certainly Sunday night, Mm-hmm. And let's just let's get let some housekeeping out of the way here. So the the two injuries uh, coming out of this game uh, that would be a concern to the 49ers and obviously the fan base and the quarterback and well heck everybody, Trent Williams expected to be out four to six weeks with a high ankle sprain, and so more than likely Colton McKivitz will take over for him at left tackle. Obviously, a huge drop off there. Uh, but the 49ers do like Colton McKivitz. I mean, they, they've talked a lot about him, that uh, they have a lot of confidence in him as the swing tackle. And the reason he didn't immediately step in to that role when Trent Williams went down was because he had nicked up his ankle, uh, missed some practice time last week. So they initially went with Jalen Moore and he struggled in about seven snaps. And then McKivitz got in there. And then also Aziz Alshire, it's an injury to the MCL, the medial collateral ligament of his right knee. It's basically a partially torn injury. MCL does not require surgery. It's a very similar injury to what will be keeping Elijah Mitchell out of action for about two months. So Williams, his time frame should be that he'll get back out there before Al Shire, but Al Shire should be able to return at some point in the second half of the season. Yeah, Jalen Moore was out there for seven snaps and allowed two pressures on Jimmy Garoppolo. So not a great start for him. Uh, I think Colton McKivitz did a much better job, at least according to his PFF scores or grades, uh, much better performance. And he's been out there a lot. He was he's planned to be their swing tackle before he got injured in practice. So I think he's going to do a good a good job holding it down. But of course, yes, no one can be Trent Williams. Uh, George Kittle said it after the game. He's the best football player in the league, and you just can't compare to him. Yeah, um, and, and certainly he is the guy that they just they don't have to worry about, right? I mean, they just line him up at left mm-hmm. tackle. He he knows his assignments. He makes everybody around him better, and that's really the sign of a good football player. He makes the quarterback better. He makes the left guard better. He makes the center better. He makes Debo Samuel better. He just makes everybody better, including the running backs. And you did mention the PFF grades. Mm-hmm. Maybe when we come back later in the show, I'm going to the show. I guess we call it the show, right? It's 40 hours talk podcast, uh-huh. a show, the big show. Um, when we come back later, I'm going to, I I did look at some of those grades for PFF through three games. I want to, we're, we're going to bounce back and forth on who's doing well, according to the grades, who's doing poorly, according to the grades. And if those productions or lack thereof kind of match what we see with the eye test too. So we'll, we'll do that uh, later, but the first thing I really want to talk about, and it's, it's been a topic um, 
and you expect it to be a topic every game of the season, how the 49ers quarterback played, how he's playing, how he's coming along. And whether that mm-hmm. was Trey Lance or now Jimmy Garoppolo, it's going to always remain a a topic of conversation and it's going to be a topic of much heated debate and everything else. So I want to take you back to Sunday and it was, I would consider it the worst game of Jimmy Garoppolo's career because weather was not an issue. Injury was not an issue. He did offer it up there that, you know, he didn't feel crisp. There was no rhythm and we've talked about the lack of training camp and all that. Mm-hmm. And um, yes. a few days later now, how do you kind of sort out what you saw, what you heard, and just where is this 49ers offense right now with Jimmy Garoppolo? I think you could finally see the lack of training camp, the lack of OTAs and practice with Jennifer, the first team. Jennifer, no, Jennifer, it. no. People are telling what? me that's an excuse. Okay, well, I think it actually just caught up with Jimmy Garoppolo. Yes, I, he's one of it, those guys, right. I think, that that played well in that first game when he was thrown in there because he didn't have to think so much. And I think that lack of practice, that lack of routine, being out there with the guys, getting that rhythm, the chemistry – I think it had an, it finally caught up to him. He's been playing on the scout team. He hasn't been quote unquote, the 49ers quarterback. He's been playing whoever they were supposed to play against the first team defense. Again, it's reps, but it's not reps in what Kyle Shanahan's offense is. And it's not with the first team players. So he's not practicing out there with George Kittle. Also George Kittle back in the game and missed the first two. He hasn't practiced a lot either. Uh, First time practicing with Brandon Ayuk and Debo Samuel since last year, since the NFC championship week. So it's been a long time since he's practiced with those skill players. I think that makes a huge difference. I I think it does too. And it's, you know, I guess it's a fine line between an excuse and a reason. Um, But here's the thing. And I wrote about this in NBC sports Bay area. Um, It just seems like, well, first off, I'll say this. I still think Jimmy Garoppolo is a good quarterback. I think he's not not the best quarterback. He's not in that Mm -hmm. top. I've said it so many times, but it deserves repeating because I did come on, come down hard on him after this game against Denver. I don't think he's a top 10 quarterback in the league. I don't think he's a bottom 10 quarterback in the league. I think he is somewhere in that middle tier where we can – you know, we can kind of uh, debate where exactly he is in that middle tier, but I still see a lot of quarterbacks in the league or a lot of teams in the, in the league who don't get great play from their quarterback. And mm-hmm. it's inconsistent in a lot of those, with a lot of those teams. And frankly, you know, it's been inconsistent with the 49ers, but it's just that even Garoppolo's inconsistencies are still at the higher level of inconsistencies through, that we see around the league. But so is, do, are you saying he's consistent at being inconsistent? That's exactly what I'm saying. That's thank you for just kind of boiling it down to the the nuts and bolts here. And so I, I think I think where the 49ers have always kind of felt this frustration is that it hasn't been a steady increase in production and play. And, you know, Mm -hmm. what I wrote about is basically the Jimmy Garoppolo we saw at the end of the 2017 season, the guy who didn't know the playbook and was just flying by the seat of his pants. Frankly, Jennifer, that's, that's been about the best that we've seen of Jimmy Garoppolo. Even, you know, 2019, I thought he played very well. You know, the mm-hmm. 49ers went to the to the Super Bowl, but then we saw how they managed that whole situation once they got the playoffs. Last year, during that stretch where he got healthy and then before he got injured again late in the season, he played very well. But he's never taken that step where you can actually see the improvement. And I think that that is a huge thing for Kyle Shanahan. And I know that they, you know, stated the reason they moved up to number three in the draft and ultimately selected Trey Lance was because 
of the injuries and this and that need a quarterback who can stay on the field. Well, I, I don't buy that. I mean, I buy it to a degree. That's like maybe one reason, but I just think that the frustration is that he's never taken that next noticeable step to become a better and better quarterback. I think he's had his ups and downs and it's kind of been in that mid range. He improves a little bit for a game and then he doesn't improve the next game. So it's been up and down throughout. And I think they realize where his ceiling is and like parallel. I think that's why they thought Trey Lance would have a higher ceiling, which is Mm -hmm. why they went and up to get him. But here we are with Jimmy Garoppolo and he's been the same Jimmy Garoppolo since he's been there. Yeah. I don't know whether it's because he likes that kind of backyard football kind of freedom that, you know, everybody talks about how Patrick Mahomes does that. Not that I'm comparing him with him with Patrick Mahomes at all, but that freedom to kind of just go out there and see it and make plays as opposed to being and confined is a bad word. I'm not sure exactly what to say, or maybe restricted or, con- mm-hmm. uh, you know, limited to what Kyle Shanahan wants. I don't know if, Jimmy Grapple feels like he's better served in kind of like a, yeah. And not that there's any offense where you can just do whatever you want, but you know, where he can use kind of his improvisational skills and be able to go out there and fling it around. But yeah, but even then I don't see him like he doesn't have improvisational skills, Uh you know, so much of his success with the team has been directly tied to Kyle Sheenahan scheming things open for guys, you know, and, and guys running wide open. And so it, here's the thing. And I, I do think that this is a huge factor is that Kyle Shanahan, you know, has grew up in the game. He knows what he wants offensively and every quarterback that he's worked with has shown pretty in pretty significant improvement, you know, going back to Matt Schaub with Houston, mm-hmm. You know, in 2017, and we'll, we'll just kind of use uh, quarterback rating because it, it encompasses a lot of this. So 2017, when Kyle was the quarterback's coach at the Texans, Schaub's passer rating was 87.2. Then mm-hmm. when Shanahan took over as the offensive coordinator, that rose to 97, or I'm sorry, 92.7 the first year and then 98.5 the next year. And Schaub was recognized as one of the better quarterbacks in the league. And then once Shanahan left Houston, there goes Matt Schaub's career. And then he goes to to Washington and is the offensive coordinator there under his dad. And the first couple of years he had, you know, Donovan McNabb on his final legs as a player and then Rex Grossman. And then the third year, um, Robert Griffin comes in and plays really good, you know, as a rookie, um, mm-hmm. 102.4 passer rating. And then he got injured, of course, and then Shanahan left and Robert Griffin's career doesn't take off. And then Atlanta is really the big one where Matt Ryan, the the first year with Matt Ryan, Matt Ryan had a, you know, a typical Matt Ryan year, passer rating around 89, 90, right around there. And then the next year, Matt Ryan had one of the great seasons we've seen from a quarterback, 117 passer rating, 38 touchdowns, seven interceptions. And then the next year when Kyle left, Atlanta to take the head coaching job at the 49ers, Matt Ryan went back to where he was. So my point is that everywhere Kyle Shanahan has been, the more a quarterback is with him, the better that quarterback becomes and basically Mm -hmm. blows whatever stats and production that that quarterback had other places, blows it out of the water. I think that's the frustration is that he hasn't been able to get that from Jimmy Garoppolo and the the belief is a young Trey Lance, 22 years old, out for the season, of course, but the Trey mm-hmm. Lance will continue to get better year in, year out, whereas Jimmy Garoppolo has simply not done that. And you look at what people have said about Trey Lance also is that he is very smart, mm-hmm. you know, football intelligence wise. He's able to take a look at the defense, understand what's happening. And Jimmy Garoppolo is not known for his fortitude at reading defenses. He's able, he's always complimented for his quick release, his accuracy and those Mm -hmm. short range range passes, getting the ball to players in space where they can get yards after catch. That's what he 
is normally complimented for. Reading a defense is not something that you hear mentioned in the same sentence as Jimmy Garoppolo. Now, Trey Lance hasn't had that chance, but the word on the street is that he does have that capability. We haven't seen it yet, but he does have that football intelligence in his arsenal. Yeah, and I kind of go back to what Steve Young told us here is that he, Steve Young mm-hmm. has spent time with Trey Lance and also with Kyle Shanahan. And and during the offseason, he said that, and I think training camp too, was his take on Trey Lance was he'll have no problem processing where the ball needs to go and making quick decisions and making all the right reads. Now it's a matter of just physically getting the football from his right hand into the hands of the guys who are catching the passes, which is kind of what quarterback play is all about. But that first part is, is pretty important too. And it's being able to execute the offense as it's drawn up. And I tell you what, man, that game Sunday night, nobody was executing anything as it was as it was drawn up. And that's a reflection on Kyle Shanahan. And that's a reflection on the players. And, you know, Kyle Shanahan said that, you know, this week, you know, you can't, you can't just, uh, you have to continue to to work through the process and clean up the mistakes. And I'll tell you what, as the 49ers begin their preparations to face the Los Angeles Rams, there are a lot of mistakes to clean up, but I don't think, I don't think the season's over. You know, I, I, I don't think that this is necessarily a must win. I mean, we saw what the Predators did last year uh, mm-hmm. coming back from a record of three and five. And then they, they play the Rams and get a little mm-hmm. bit of momentum. Uh, they, they lost right. a couple more games along the way, but um, th- this is, I mean, let's face it. I mean, this is a, this is a big game for the 49ers and if if they are able to bounce back all of a sudden you kind of forget that game against the Broncos I mean it's still will be in the back of your mind because those are losses to the Bears and the Broncos two teams by the way with not great offenses not great offenses at all and before the season started I think you and I both picked those games as wins for the 49ers I think I did. I I think Mm -hmm. I did. I think my my guess would be that I had the 49ers at like maybe three and one after four games, Mm -hmm. Uh, you know, with this game coming up as a potential loss. But I, you know, there are uh, the, the Vegas odd makers have the 49ers as a favorite, which is a little bit interesting to me, but it also speaks to the Rams. They're not, you know, right, right now, Matthew Stafford's thrown more interceptions than he's thrown touchdown passes. And, um, you know, we'll talk a little bit more about how the 49ers are going to go about defending the Rams. But um, I know that we had to address the Jimmy Garoppolo situation. Bottom line, Jimmy Garoppolo. Go, Jennifer. What's your bottom line on Jimmy Garoppolo? He's got to look at the entire field, see his open receivers and throw catchable passes. There were times where he threw behind, he threw in front, he threw too high. You don't want to put your receivers or your skill players in harm's way. Like throwing too high is going to open them up for hits. And you've got to keep all those skill players on the field because you need every weapon you can get, especially when you've got Trent Williams not going to be there for a while. You've got to keep everybody else as healthy Mm -hmm. as possible. Throwing those balls up too high is going to be detrimental to your team. He's got to be more accurate. And I, you would think that another week of practice with those targets is going to help, but that's what he has to do going forward. Yeah. I mean, he, he's got a great safety net with with that defense. Mm -hmm. You know, the the offense doesn't have to be perfect. It doesn't have to score every time they touch the ball, but they got to score more than 10 points. That's for darn sure. We're going to step aside and hear from our sponsor, Big O Tires. And on the other side, we'll be joined by Greg Papa and then Joe Staley right here on 49ers Talk. Sales. Big O Sales. Save $100 on select Bridgestone and $70 on select Firestone tires, both with installation purchase. Plus, get zero interest if paid in full within 12 months. Big O Tires, the team you trust. All right, we're back on 49ers Talk, our weekly installment of Ask Papa. Here he is, Greg. There's so much I want to ask you. 
after the 49ers lose to Denver in an absolute snoozer, but then have the, it's not even a quick turnaround, but it it's probably a turnaround that they wish was even quicker than it is because uh, they go from a Sunday night game to a Monday night game, uh, not one day break, but eight days off. So kind of give me your feelings right now about that team that we saw in Denver and then just how they get back on their feet to go face a, a big time NFC West opponent. Well, I think it's actually good, Matt, that they have the extra day. The players have the day off on Wednesday, so they'll get back at it on Thursday. And it gives them a chance. I know they get right into the Rams because you have a very difficult opponent, the defending Super Bowl champions. But it also gives you a little bit of time to self-scout. So the two games you lost at Chicago, at Denver, weather completely different, quarterbacks completely different, but a lot of commonality in the game where you, you had a chance to – to build a bigger lead at halftime. It was 7 nothing in Chicago. It was 7-3 in Denver. To me, the uh, the Tyler Croft throw that, that Trey Lance missed in the first game, that leak route going down the sideline, the left sideline. This week, it was Debo Samuel. And Kyle had a great play design, lined him up in the offensive backfield, got him to match up with a linebacker, Josie Jewell. He runs a wheel route. And, it, you know, he didn't miss him, Jimmy, but he didn't hit him. He got 31, 32 yards on the play. Should have been 85 yards and a touchdown. And uh, Jimmy just underthrew him, threw him to the sideline where Debo made the catch, but he had to tackle himself. Um, I, I was surprised Jimmy missed that throw. I'd seen Jimmy make that throw. Um, so there were a lot of other things. The, the, the fumbled snap, I, we found out later, was Jake Brendel, not Jimmy's fault. Um, you know, did, they gave the ball. Um, he had the wrong snap count, Brendel, which is odd because he's a center. Everybody else knew it. And although they, the defense got a punt right away, Denver was able to down that punt on the two-yard line, which set it up for the big moment. And Chicago was the Dante Pettis bust. In this game, it was the faithful uh, stretch left, tap roll right in your own end zone, take the safety. Uh, Trey, Trey Williams gets hurt on the play, and that just starts it. Yeah. And the defense played so well, but the offense just 0 for 9 on third mm-hmm. down until the out to Juwan Jennings. He had to play so many snaps defensively that we just felt like he couldn't play that many snaps in the altitude. He couldn't play that many snaps anywhere in week three, let alone 5,280 feet. They wore down. They gave up the one drive. Uh, Then Jimmy made two great throws back to back. The third down to Jennings finally converted the third down, came right back with the next play to Ray Ray McLeod. You're out to your 48 yard line. Now first and 10, you just need a field goal. Do what you did in green Bay to to win that game in the playoff game. And then Jimmy tried to make a, a throw he shouldn't have made through in a double coverage on, on first down. The ball got tipped up, Jonas Griffith with the pick, and you wind up losing. So defense played great. You don't like that one drive, but you understand it because you're exhausted in the mountains there. But the offense, just the inefficiency. And it's different than the Trey situation and the heavy rain in Chicago. You had altitude. You had a great defense to deal with. But the offense just uh, a really, I mean, both games, Matt, you scored 10 points, 10 in Chicago, 10 in Denver. You give up 19 in Chicago. You give up 11 in Denver. Should be good enough to win. And the offense just doesn't score enough. Yeah, there's a couple things. After the game, uh, Carlos Ramirez asked me about, you know, our team's catching on to Debo Samuel and how the 49ers use him. And I asked Kyle Shanahan that question. And, you know, he felt like, teams have always kind of focused on Debo Samuel and anywhere, wherever he's lined up, but he felt that there were still plays to be made. And afterward, you know, when you go back and watch a game, you kind of, you know, can kind of take a deep breath and kind of watch it. I mean, I felt like that he already, Kyle Shanahan already did something that we hadn't seen before to take advantage of maybe, you know, when he lines up in the backfield, teams are expecting him to run. And that was a wheel route that should have been that you referred to. I mean, it easily could have been, should have been an 85-yard touchdown. And that changes the entire complexion of that game. Totally. Okay, but then you ran that play. Then they ran a similar concept later in the game where Debo did not run a wheel. He ran a, a Texas route, an angle route. It's the one Jeff Wilson Jr. ran to beat Arizona, you know, a few years ago. Um, where he lines up in the backfield next to Jimmy in the gun. But this time, the Broncos switch it, and they don't put a, a stacked linebacker on him. They put Kwan Williams, 
the nickel back on him, and Jimmy makes a bit of a bad throw. It gets tipped up. It's not the one that was intercepted. That was later in the game. So these other teams are watching too. Kyle Smart, Bobby Slowick Smart, Chris Furster Smart. So are the Denver Broncos. So they make adjustments too. I think with Debo, and I kind of felt this last year, Matt, when whenever they motioned him into the backfield, and I, I last year they called it eleven Tyson because his name is tight is Tyson. I think they called it eleven Tyson because they can't pronounce Tyson. So <laughs> it's when he motions eleven personnel, three wide receivers. But the beauty is. When Debo goes in the backfield, he's not a Z-back anymore. He's a, he's, a, he's a running back. So you get those kind of matchups. But teams already key on the 49ers in the run game. If you're the defensive coordinator, any game playing Kyle Shanahan, what's the first thing you say in every meeting? We got to stop the run. We got to stop the stretch. We got to stop the inside zone, the gap. We cannot let them dominate us on the ground. The 49ers run the ball the most of any team in football on first and 10. That tells you who you are. Right. When you get into other down and distances, you have to adjust. First and 10 is the great the great you know equalizer. 65% of the time they run on first and 10. Now, when Debo motions into the backfield in those scenarios, they're key in Debo. So I thought last year, a little bit too predictable when 19 lines up in the backfield, they're going to give it to him. So you have to do tendency breakers like Run him on a, a route. He's a wide yeah. receiver playing in the back. Run a, run a wheel route. Run an arrow route, a Texas route. Mm-hmm. And try to get him matched up. This time it's a nickel. So the bottom line is, man, they did not run the ball to their standard in this game. Debo, five carries, six yards. Jeff Wilson Jr. had the one good run for 37. He had one other run. But you ran it 19 times after being in the 30s, you know, 175 plus the first two games. So, And now the Trent Williams injury will complicate matters. But they, they've got to get back to the foundation of their offensive house. And that yeah. is run the football, whether it's Debo or whoever, Jeff Wilson Jr., whoever they put back there, they got to be more consistent because the whole offense sets up with play action pass. Yeah. And I, I would think that he would want, Kyle Shanahan would want more of a 50 50 split run and pass on all downs including first down until a t- until the players get a big lead. And then you're going to be trying to, you know, your, your game changes a little bit, but yeah, I mean, I'm looking at what they did on first and 10 and other than the two runs that you mentioned with Jeff Wilson, one for 37 yards, one for 18 yards, their other first and 10 runs were two yards, one yard, zero yards, one yard, four yards, three yards, zero, 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 two. And then you look at when they're passing on first and 10, they had some success there until, you know, late in the fourth quarter when they were, um, you know, trying to get back uh, some points and, and win that game. But, you know, it was the the pass to Brandon Ayuk for 20 yards on first down and then the next play to Jeff Wilson for the 37-yard run. But it was, you know, a nine-yard pass to Kittle, 16 to Ayuk, 32 to Debo Samuel, 24 to Kyle Juszczyk. Those are on first and 10. So I just, you know, it's easy to second guess after the fact and go, well, boy, they should have thrown more on, on first and 10. But I just wonder if that's going to be an emphasis now where they're, they want to get more 50-50 instead of that 65-35 split that you referred to. Well, in a league, is it under 50% run on first down? The league's at 47.7%. Mm-hmm. Cleveland runs a lot on first down because they got those two running backs, Chubb and Hunt. Tennessee runs almost the same, a little bit less. They got King Henry. That's the way their teams are built. That's the way Kyle Shanahan's teams are built. But what the product is, so I, I just felt like a little bit too much run on first down. Mm-hmm. Now you're getting into these second and longs. And yep. the reason they didn't pick up third down, Matt, is because the average distance to go on third down was eight yards. Yeah, They were and- not productive on second down. So, And this team has been good on first down. They've uh-huh. been great on first down with this recipe. But sometimes you have to look at a little bit and self-scout, break tendencies. If they're going to load the box and say, you're going to run it two out of every three times on first down, I'm going to slam that run game, get into second and long, 
And now the play action, not as big of a threat. So the reason they're not as good on third down in this game, they weren't as good on second down and they weren't as productive on first down. 100%. Because I'm looking at their third downs, third and nine, third and nine, third and three. That's manageable. But third and nine, third and nine, third and seven, third and 18, third and 10. So that right there, you know, we talked about what their third down conversions were, but you're 100% right. It wasn't necessarily third down. It was first and second down. Okay. Okay, so now the 49ers have to get right. The, the Rams come to town. Uh, I, I know you've just started your kind of research and film study on the Rams. Um, can we expect a similar game uh, Monday night to the three games we saw the 49ers and the Rams a year ago? It, it, are these, I mean, it doesn't look like the Rams are exactly clicking on offense either. No, they're feeling it out. There's no doubt. Uh, Stafford threw three interceptions the first game, two in the second game, and then none this last game um, when they went to Arizona. Their defense is, is good. Uh, they're still trying to integrate Allen Robinson. Cam Akers is coming on. You know, Andrew Whitworth retires, so you got Joe Noteboom at left tackle, Rob Havenstein at right. I think that's a matchup that Nick can win either way. They got some injuries in the interior of the line, sliding people around. So we'll see what they are. Um, Stafford, I'll be anxious to see when I dive into it. I watched the Buffalo game the first game of the year. I didn't think his elbow was right in that game. The ball was not coming out the way it normally does. He was guiding the ball, I thought, in that game and not ripping it. But I'll study him more. The big change to me, so the 49ers had beaten this team six consecutive times. Swept him in 19, swept him in 20, swept him last year. We're up 10 on him going to the fourth quarter of the NFC title game, let it slip away. And the reason they had success for six and three quarters games is they dominated the line of scrimmage. Can they, and specifically the running game, all we're talking about. The beauty of this was throw out the 65% we're going to run on first down. We're going to run on first down 100% of the time. And you can't stop it. Not even Aaron Donald, the great Aaron Donald. Sean Robinson, you can't stop it. We're going to run right at you. And they kind of called them out a little bit that they're, you don't want to say the S word, but the 49ers are more physical. They got mad and they pushed back. And for you know, 15 minutes of football, they flipped the title game. But they changed the, the complexion of this matchup to me, Matt. And we talked so much about Russell Wilson, 17 and four against the 49ers in Seattle. Well, Bobby Wagner calls their defense in Seattle for 10 years. Wasn't he 17 and four against the 49ers too? So to me, the acquisition of Bobby Wagner, and it all went down the same day, March the 8th, Jimmy Garoppolo has shoulder surgery, Russell Wilson gets traded to Denver, Seattle cuts Bobby Wagner, really? They cut Bobby Wagner? And then where did he go? He laid out there for a while, a lot of rumors. He's a Ram now. So to me, that changes the middle of the field. The 49ers always attack them in the middle of the field. Troy Reader was their stack linebacker last year next to Ernest Jones, nice player. He's not Bobby Wagner. And the 49ers went after him to the point where he was benched in the NFC Championship game. Can you still run the ball against this team now that they got Bobby Wagner sitting in, you know, behind that line, behind Greg Gaines and Aaron Donald and Sean Robinson? Can you still run it? Can you still kittle over the middle against him with Bobby Wagner there? That Debo dig. What was the big play last year? That fourth down to Debo Samuel. And that in cut, and he took it all the way to the house. You know, can you do that? So this whole thing, you know, we're so Russell Wilson-centric the last couple of games playing Seattle in the home opener, going to Denver. Bobby Wagner, man, is no longer in Seattle, but he's still in the NFC West. And now he plays for the Rams. Yeah. How does it, that change things? Isn't that funny how this has worked out? If 49ers play Seattle week two, a Seattle team without Russell Wilson, without Bobby Wagner. Then they play the Broncos with Wilson, and now they play the Rams with Wagner. So it, it should be fascinating. It'll be – I'm just kind of curious to see how the 49ers respond because that was about as bad as I've seen them play on the offensive side of the ball. And so they got to they gotta figure things out because the defense looks pretty solid. Bottom line, Matt, they win this game on Monday Night Football – the 49ers are in first place in the NFC West. They tie the Rams two and two, and they will have won the first head-to-head. So win, and you're in first place. But it's going to be a long year. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Hey, Greg, thanks a lot for joining us on 49ers Stock. And when we come back, we're going to be joined by our old colleague, 
Joe Staley. Uh, he he was at that game in Denver as a fan and uh, caused quite a stir. I think he expected <laughs> it just kind of just settle in and be unrecognizable uh, because it's a road game, but a lot of 48 hour fans in Denver, they all recognize him. So he has some, some stuff to say and uh, get his input on where the 49ers are after this word from our sponsor. Looking for a bit of adventure this summer? Look no further than a new fuel-efficient Toyota Hybrid. As the industry leader, Toyota offers more hybrid models than any other brand. So you can live life to the fullest while getting incredible MPG. Go farther than ever before this season in the most fuel-efficient way possible. And save big at the pump all summer long in a brand new Toyota Hybrid. It all starts at Toyota's national sales event. Toyota, let's go places. Win a new Mercedes-Benz, cash, and more this month at Grayton Resort and Casino. Play to enter the Mercedes Winner's Choice Giveaway on September 30th, where you could win a new Mercedes-Benz. Plus, more ways to win than anywhere else. Tuesdays, turn points into slot play. Multiplier Wednesdays, get up to seven times the points. Thursdays, win up to $15,000 in the wild winning slot tournaments. Learn more at GraytonResortCasino.com. Complete rules available at the Reward Center. All right, joined by Joe Staley now on 49 Sock and Joe, you're at the game Sunday in Denver. Uh, yeah. Obviously, a lot of frustration from 49er fans and a lot of it pertaining to not only the offense, but specifically Jimmy Garoppolo. Just as, you know, from your seat in the stands, how difficult was that to watch? And were you surprised at all just how rough things looked offensively? Um, yeah, I mean, surprise. Yes. Uh, just because it did look so rough, they just weren't able to get into a rhythm, you know, at all. And I think that's one of the things that Kyle and this always, I mean, if you look at the success of the 49ers, it's always been predicated on a team that's able to stay ahead of the, of the chains, you know, they're able to get four or five yards in their run plays and they're able to run their play actions. And, you know, if you get behind, it's really difficult. And I think one of the things too, it was pretty difficult situation for for Jimmy you know I, I know he knows this offense he's been with the team for a long time um but I don't care what anybody says if you don't do training camp you know you don't get those reps in the offseason the OTAs the throwing um it's going to be difficult to go out there and have a ton of success right away um I think you know not making excuses but it was a little bit surprising with how discombobulated it looked but not surprising in the fact that there was a struggle to move the ball. Um, you know, it's a hard place to play. Uh, it's Sunday night football. There's a lot of stuff that was going against them. Um, so I was kind of expecting a closer, lower scoring game. Um, it's just unfortunate how, how it kind of shook out at the end. Any reason to push the panic button? You know, last year the team was three and five and things were, no. were not looking good. And the Rams come rolling into town and the 49ers kind of got right with that big win against the Rams on Monday night football. And here they are again, one and two record. And here come the Rams to town. Yeah. I don't think there's any time. There's there's no reason to hit a panic button. Panic button. We've seen the time and the again of early in the season, it takes, I don't care how talented you are as a football team. It takes, people a while to kind of figure out what their identity is and it took them a while last year and once they got their identity they figured out who they were as a team who they're going to um, build the offense through and even the defense you know we saw what that team was and they were NFC championship almost a Super Bowl team last year um, a lot of the same pieces are here I think their defense is playing even you know more tremendous obviously than they were last year this is a really 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 skilled defense you know, all the way from the back end, linebackers, defensive line. Um, that's going to be a, a part of their team, a part of the team that's really going to have to carry them early. And I think they're going to keep them in games. And um, you know, once the offense figures out what their identity is and, and who, who, who do we want to build this offense through and what are the staple plays that we're going to kind of construct this offense, um, then I think we'll see a, a more a con a cohesive group. I would imagine your eyes go to the offensive line through three games. What have you thought about, you know, the young guys on the interior and now what adjustments the 49ers have to make moving Colton McKivitz to left tackle and in place of an injured Trent Williams. Yeah, they're going to miss Trent for sure. You know, he's such a catalyst and he allows them to do so many different things just by putting them on an Island. You know, you're able to slide 
keep your help in the middle um, where those guys are really trying to figure it out. And, you know, I've been really encouraged, honestly, by, you know, the play of the young guys, you know, there's not going to be all, all perfect. My first couple years, you know, starting in the NFL, it was some really good days, some really bad days. Um, so they're going through their learning curves and just, it kind of, uh, you know, for the team, it's um, an interesting situation where you have three guys that are really doing it at once all in the middle. Um, but I think Aaron Banks is playing uh, really well uh, watching him. I think he's doing a lot of really good things out there. Um, Burford, really excited about his potential. I think he is playing um, really good in pass protection. You know, I think he needs to continue to develop and, and know the details in the run game, you know, coming off the ball and, you know, exactly targeting where you're going and the, and the, the details when it comes down to the, your angles getting to the second level. Um, you know, and then Brendel in the middle, you know, I think he's had some ups and downs as well. Um, but, you know, this is a team that's going to figure it out as the season goes, and I think they're going to continue to improve. You have to do a double take when you see Burford wearing that number 74 jersey? No, it was, um, honestly, the 74, it was like, they, some of the, someone called me from the from the team or the, I think it was like equipment equipment staff, and it was like, hey, we're giving out your number. And I was like, it's not my number. It's just a number, you know. So I had, I had no issues with that. Oh, did they they really kind of ask you for permission a little bit, or just give you a heads up? No, just like, hey, we're giving your number away. We don't have any numbers, and I was like, cool, sounds good. I don't care. Yeah. Hey, um, how much do you think of an impact it is on the 49ers to lose Mike McDaniel? I mean, we see he's doing a great job. I mean, yeah. three games in, but doing a really good job with with the Dolphins, and he's such a bright guy and innovative and quirky as heck outside the box thinker all that how much do you think that there's an adjustment period for Kyle Shanahan to kind of figure things out without you know his right hand man helping him yeah I think definitely is uh is a transition you know just like as a player you know when I was playing with Mike uh Potty for so long and then all of a sudden I'm playing next to a new guard there's a transition period of 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 getting used to not having that kind of like comfort blanket that I had playing next to Mike for all those years um, and it's a transition and, and it takes time to kind of get your footing and I think the same thing for Kyle on this offense it's just kind of you know, Kyle's always had Mike you know everywhere he's gone and I think um, you know Kyle's there, I have no issues um, or no like pause that he's not going to I think it's just a transition period right now and, and that's one of the things too when you have a lot of talent not only from a player's perspective, but also coaching staff, you know, coming in, I was really impressed with the staff that Kyle built because they're all very, very bright and, you know, up and coming coaches. And you're going to see these guys get picked off their head coaching opportunities, you know, South Sala, we lose Mike LaFleur, um, you know, Mike McDaniel, like it's just going to be a transition period and he's going to have to figure it out, you know, who's that next guy to step into that role. Yeah, I, I opened by, you know, mentioning Jimmy Garoppolo. And I, I guess that there's a frustration with 49ers fans as it pertains to Jimmy. It just seems like, and this is me talking now, that what we saw at the end of the 2017 season was about as good as he got or has gotten. Like he hasn't taken... Like you would have thought that that would be the floor and he would take huge steps forward. I don't want to put you in a bad spot talking about a former teammate and a friend, but why, why do you think that we haven't seen like this significant jump in his production from what we saw at the end of the 2017 season? Um, well, I think there's two things to, to go into there. I mean, I think it's perspective. You know, I think, the 2017 season, you know, we went through a bunch of quarterbacks really since Colin left and that it was just bad quarterback play, you know, and then Jimmy comes in there, we go five and oh at the end of the season and everybody was kind of looked at as like, all right, this is the next franchise quarterback for us. You know, we made the big trade, we have the new franchise quarterback. And so I think from then on, it went, they went into every single season with these high, high, high expectations of what he was supposed to do. Every year he has an ACL injury. He's out for the whole entire second year, comes back. And we go to a Super Bowl. I mean, honestly, like it, I laugh a little bit because you know, we always talk about football as like a, a team sport, right? It's like the greatest team sport and everything. Well, 
part of that is you can't have it both ways and you can't just want the quarterback to drive everything and be the reason why they're, they're winning games. It's like, he's playing within the offense and from where we were to go into the Super Bowl was his first season starting. I mean, where else do you want, you know, I know we didn't win it, but, and I think people remember like the bad plays in that game of the reason and they want to be the reason why we, we didn't win. Um, and they want to put that blame on him. And I think from that Super Bowl, He's had such a magnifying glass on every single throw. And I think it doesn't help either when you're seeing, you know, Josh, Josh Allen, you see Patrick Mahomes, Lamar Jackson, be the reason why those teams are winning. Um, and then I think fans are just like, you know, looking at the roster, the talent that we have and saying, well, Jimmy should be taking this team because he should be the reasons why we're winning. Plus we have this great defense. Plus we have this great running game, running game. We have Debo Samuel. Like we have all these weapons. Um, but I don't know if it's a long, long answer to basically say, I don't know why it's under such a microscope. You know, I think it is a team sport. You look at the years that he is healthy, you know, regardless of what you say, we've gone to a Super Bowl, gone to an NCAA championship game. I know there's a lot of franchises out there that wish they had that. Um, just at a bare minimum. So, you know, obviously he's going through some weird season, you know, honestly for him um, to come from, you know, I'm not being wanted um, injury. Oh, okay. I'm going to come back and, oh man, now I'm starting again. You know, yeah. I think there's probably a lot of emotions that go into what he's doing. Um, it's kind of a weird season. And I guess, I mean, there is perspective here, right? I mean, it's, you know, the, the reason that John Lynch and Kyle Shanahan were given six-year contracts is because that roster was in a sorry shape. Next thing you know, in 2019, you guys are playing in the Super Bowl. And if you look at the last three seasons, just the last three seasons, you got, what, the, the Chiefs, you got Tampa Bay, and you got the Rams as the three Super Bowl winners. And then if you're to pick a fourth team that has been, you know, the next team that's been th the biggest opportunity, you know, th that's been right there. It's been the 49ers. Yeah. So, so when you look at it in that perspective, I mean, over the last three seasons, pretty clearly the 49ers, you know, are a notch below those Super Bowl teams. And the, the only thing the 49ers haven't done is win a Super Bowl. Yeah. And I think, um, you know, I think that's why they made the trade too. I mean, they made the trade up to get Trey Lance. And I think, Getting back to what your point was in 2017, Jimmy, you know, it's like, I think they kind of see that that's, you know, there's some validity to it is that, you know, what Jimmy has done has been pretty consistent, but there is a ceiling there. Mm -hmm. um, so I think that was the the thought process from behind of going with Trey is like, hey, let's, let's get a guy in here that we think is really going to improve and take, maybe he might not start at the ceiling of where Jimmy's at, but um he's going to get there and hopefully surpass it and um you know that's one of the more i talked about a weird year already i mean this is going to be really two years where trey hasn't ha had a chance to be on the field and getting those developments on field and in-game situations and um so it's going to be interesting to see what happens next you know what happens next year is his development going to be starting over again or is it going to be you know moving forward yeah. Hey, uh, Joe, are you going to be at Levi Stadium anytime this season? Fans going to get a chance to, to yeah, buy a I gold mean, one? We have a, um, I think we have an alumni game against the Chiefs uh, October 23rd. We're having a bunch of people from the 2012 uh, game, or 2012 team uh, there. And so I'll be up there for that. And then possibly this Monday night, actually, thinking about taking my daughters up to the game. So might be up there this weekend, but for sure I'll be there uh, October 23rd. All right, Joe. Always good to see you. Always good to chat Great with you. And uh, maybe I'll see you Monday night. All right. Sounds good. As you write your life story, you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be Continued at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be continued at scs.georgetown.edu slash podcast. 
Whenever you need a recharge from the gym, training, a race, or everyday life, Fit Aid Energy has you covered. Now in four electric flavors, new Fit Aid Energy's 200 milligrams of clean caffeine from green tea helps fight your fitness fatigue and contains our original post-workout recovery blend. Visit FitAidEnergy.com to save up to 30%. We're back on 49ers Talk, Matt Mayoko, rejoined by Jennifer Lee Chan. And one of the things that I think surprised me a little bit was a, a subtle change in the 49ers defense. Uh, mm -hmm. Samuel Womack, the rookie, I thought it mm -hmm. played pretty well. Cer certainly didn't uh, show enough in the first two games to get benched as the team's nickelback. But when the 49ers trotted their, their defense out there uh, against the Broncos, it was Diamador Lenore, and Diamador Lenore played pretty well. So that's going to be a huge matchup to watch because I think I, it looks to me like Diamador Lenore is going to be back out there Monday night. But that is a huge matchup for the 49ers going up against Cooper Cup. Yes, and we have to mention Sam Womack's incredible special teams play. He was still on the field, but that play on special teams where he pushed the ball out of the end zone, remained in the air and pinned the Broncos back. Of course, it didn't necessarily keep the Broncos from scoring, but what a play by him. Yeah, we've seen in the past where the team will practice that play with volleyballs instead of footballs. And the reason they do it with volleyballs is because you get more of a, a true bounce with a volleyball. And with a football, you'd probably spend you know, 90% of your time trying to get the right bounce and the drill would fall apart, but that was like the perfect bounce. And man, yeah, that was a really good play from Samuel Womack. So yeah, the 49ers. Okay. So we talked about PFF a little bit in the first segment. Mm -hmm. I know you do the kind of the breakdowns of, of the PFF grades and, and um, here's some things that I, I looked at, like the best players, best and worst graded players on the 49ers offense and defense through three games. So I'm going to hit you up on these top five on offense with 100 snaps or more. Number one is Trent Williams. Number two is Aaron Banks. Number three is Mike McGlinchey, all offensive linemen. I think I'm a little bit surprised um, just that through three games, uh, and of course, as we mentioned earlier, Trent Williams is going to be missing four to six weeks, more than likely with a high ankle sprain. But I think I'm a little bit surprised that the three highest rated players on the 49ers offense, according to PFF, are offensive linemen. Yeah, they've actually, you know, there were so many questions about the offensive line before the season started, and they've actually done a decent job. Now, of course, mm -hmm. There's been some issues on the interior of the line, center and right guard a little bit. Spencer Burford's had his struggles. Jake Brendel had a few mistakes as well, snapping the ball late, bad exchange with Jimmy Garoppolo. But generally, overall, through three games, they haven't been awful. They've mm -hmm. been good. And the remaining skill players have had good games and they've had bad games. So you look at consistency, which is what we've talked about since the beginning of this podcast, that those three linemen have actually been the most consistent and there there's been ups and downs. So yeah. you also look at the running backs, right? They went, they've already gone through three different running backs. Jeff Wilson is the starter now and Elijah Mitchell's out. Ty Davis price is out. So you're looking at a hundred snaps or more. So it's gotta be guys that are out there on the field a lot. Yeah. And uh, they've been the most consistent. Yes. And then uh, the, the other top guys on offense, uh, basically kind of boom, 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 Brandon Ayuk, John Jennings, and Debo Samuel. Now the bottom five on offense, very surprising to me, Kyle Juszczyk is not a darling of, of PFF right now. And usually he's pretty highly rated, but they kind of, they see some fault with his pass blocking and his run blocking. And then Jake Brendel, uh, run blocking has been an issue for him. Uh, Jimmy Garoppolo is, is low you know, low rated uh, among the offensive players as are Jeff Wilson and Spencer Burford. So those are the, the bottom guys on offense. I guess the, the Kyle use check thing kind of surprises me a little bit because mm -hmm. um, yeah, I, I, 
I haven't really noticed. I mean, it seems like he's playing less this season as the 49ers kind of figure out their personnel groupings, depending on the team they're playing. Um, Brendel, he's, he's been the center for the first three games and it looks like Daniel Brunskill is going to be coming back potentially to practice this week. We'll see he's going to, if he's going to be available for the game on Monday, but I just wonder if once Brunskill is back and fully integrated and, and healthy and up to speed, I just wonder if maybe the foreigners will make that transition and go to Brunskill at center ahead of Jake Brendel. That's the possibility. And, you know, Brunskill has some experience playing with Jimmy Garoppolo. He's been all over the line. He's very, uh, I guess he can play at all the different positions across the line, but I think Shanahan said after the game that they're looking at to keep him on the interior, as opposed to being at left tackle where obviously uh, Colton McKiewicz would take the place of Trent Williams. Yeah. Okay. So now the top five guys on defense, and I think these are pretty, yeah, I mean, I guess the one surprise would be that Deshaun Gibson is the number one ranked player on defense, but the other four pretty clearly with the eye test, Talano Hufanga, Nick Bosa, Fred Warner, Charvarius Ward. So those, all those are very, I think, very obvious. The The lowest rated player on defense, and I'm, I'm going to take this out to 50 snaps or more, the, mm-hmm. the lowest rated player, and it's because of his run defense, is Javon Kinlaw. Surprised? A little bit. I He seemed like he was very involved early in the games in week one and week two. So I don't know whether it's, you know, his getting back into football shape. He didn't play a lot last year. So I think the consistency from the beginning of the game to the end has not been as strong as you would expect for a guy who's in his third year on the team. Yeah. And I think, you know, his size, you know, the old saying, I don't know how many times I've said it to you, Jennifer, through the years, low man wins, right? Um, (laughs) That's why I always take the low road. I always (laughs) take the low road. But anyway, you know, with his size, he's so big. It's, it's, it's easy, I think, for offensive linemen to kind of get their pads under him and kind of Mm -hmm. push him out a little bit. Um, Eric Armstead. And when he's, when I've, when I've talked to Javon Kinlaw after games during the week, that's one thing that he's really focused on doing. And D'Amico Ryan said he's getting better at it, but his pad level is one of those things that he mm-hmm. needs to improve on hand technique, pad level. Those are the things that he's trying to work on and slowly improving. So you may see improvement as the season progresses. Yeah. Um, Eric Armstead hasn't gotten great grades either. And of course he missed this last game with the plantar fascia tear, or at least a plantar fascia injury on his right foot. Mm-hmm. And they, they're kind of, he doesn't grade out well, or he didn't grade out well in the first two games with the pass rush and the run defense. Uh, Drake Jackson has kind of gotten knocked for his tackling, Kerry Hyder with his tackling and Aziz Alshire with the coverage. But I want to go back to Eric Armstead. You talked to him mm-hmm. after the game yes. on Sunday night and kind of bring us up to speed a little bit on what he's dealing with, with that foot injury. So I'm not surprised that he wasn't graded very highly because he said he started feeling the plantar fasciitis injury in week one for Chicago. And of course it wasn't great weather. And again, not great weather for the Seattle game. He said at the very beginning, first quarter of the Seattle game, that's when he really started feeling some serious amount of pain. Now he powered through that game, which might not have been the best thing for him to do because how limiting it could have been and maybe it did affect his play and then he took the week off of practice prior to the denver bronco game and tried to get better but it's interesting i've had plantar fasciitis as well it is awful and what's interesting about it is that you feel like you can play or run or do whatever activity you think you can on it and then the next day you can't put weight on your foot Mm -hmm. so obviously for defensive linemen you have to push off with your foot flexed especially at the toe box, his pain is more towards the heel as opposed to more towards the toe box, kind of at the beginning of the arch, which is different. Uh, I spoke to the doctors from Stanford Medicine and they said that it's really just, it's one of those things where you have to use inserts, you have to tape it, rest and flexion of the foot while you're resting is how it heals, but there's nothing you can really do to expediate the healing. So mm-hmm. it's kind of one of those things that can linger. You don't want to put them out there too fast because you can make it worse. And then again, the recovery period is longer. I think uh, when I've dealt with that in the past, I've got a golf ball 
and I put mm-hmm. it under my foot and I roll it yes. back and forth. I think that's, uh, but with Eric's foot is a little bit bigger than mine. So he'd probably use like a, a baseball, a lacrosse ball, a lacrosse ball. Yeah. Something yeah. like that. All right. Well, um, 49ers and the Rams, big one coming up. They're all big 17 game regular season. 49ers are one and two Rams lead the NFC West. The only NFC West team with a two and one record. And we will break it all down. We, our next podcast will drop after the game late Monday night from Levi stadium. Uh, Jennifer and I will be there along with Carlos Ramirez. And uh, in the meantime, thank you for listening to 49ers talk, the podcast and uh, leave a rating and a review anywhere you get to your podcast. You can follow us and uh, those ratings and reviews. I don't know if you know this, Jennifer, but they help other people find podcasts. So uh, the across the globe, you know, if you're a 49er fan in, in Germany, like, like some of our friends here with the uh, Niner Empire Germany or anywhere in the world, on the planet, um, the more ratings, reviews, it helps people find the podcast. So thank you all for listening. And we will be back at you Monday night in the wee hours. Thanks for listening to 49ers Talk with Matt Mayoko. Please rate, review, and subscribe for free on your podcast provider.